Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Sometimes uh, following him all our days, step by step, that's all we can do, right? Uh, just little baby steps and one step at a time. I know there's many that as we are here that they're that's what we're doing is just one step at a time, one day at a time. And, and here we are on Sunday again, and we're here to say, God, what is it that you would want for us uh, this day? And what would you want us to know as we go into this week? And we're going back to Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. Uh, John, on his way back, he's like, hey, your quad shoes are there. I'm like, man, I feel like I work. We're just, <laughs> it's, I don't feel it's that fast, but they were gone all summer. So we welcome them back. And uh, know that uh, as we're, we're talking about this, we, we celebrate what God, what Isaiah is speaking to us about our God who, who comes into our situations. I, I know what, what some of you are, are, are facing. Um, we've prayed for some of these things, difficulties, difficult things, joyous things, and it's God who's there all along. We said this hymn this morning, it said it's, we're still praising God even in the hard times. Step by step, he's leading us and we want to follow him. That's what he asked. And this morning, we're going to hear a message about that, I think, uh, the idea of waiting for God and, and trusting in him in our days. This morning, we're going to go to Isaiah, and we're going to read uh, chapter 12, or sorry, verse 12 through 31, in just a moment of chapter 40, uh, which we started looking at last week. But before we, we go there, before we start thinking about uh, Isaiah 40, I, I want to think or prep your mind with something. Uh, David and I were just mentioning, he said one of the next things on his list this uh, is is the state fair. I was actually, before he even said that, I was thinking about the state fair. Um, I have never been to the Minnesota state fair. I've only been to the Wisconsin one. Um, and, and, and so I can only speak from my home state and, and what is goes on there. And one of the things that I remember at the state fair Amongst all the good food and amongst all the rides and everything else, one of the things I remember there is that in one of the buildings, the expo building that they have there, uh, there are tons of people that go in there. And what do you find in those expos? It's tons of vendors selling a bunch of products that are making really big promises, right? Do you know those things or have you seen what I'm talking about? Like the, the one I remember is, is there's always this mop that uh, that's that I, I feel like the guy promises that if you mop your floor, it's going to be a mirror and you're going to be able to see yourself in it. It's so awesome. Uh, or the, the food processor that moves you from just standard uh, chopping vegetables to now all of a sudden you're a gourmet cook. Uh, real easy, just that one product. And the, the, and, and the funny thing about it is you see, when you see those products, then the rest of the time you're at the fair, you see people just walking around and, and holding out those products and you're like, Really? And that's kind of what I'm going after in the sense because I'm the type of guy that sits back and looks at those products and says, I feel like you're over-promising something that this product can do that it's not made to do. You sit there and you ask yourself the question, can that thing really do everything you want you're saying it can do? Can it really revolutionize my life? Will it really change things for me? Can it really do that? And I think this week, as we're getting into our message, that in a way, 
Isaiah the prophet, the guy who we've been journeying through, has, has spoken so much about God that he's given all these promises that he said, God will do this, God will do this, God will do this. And in a way, Israel, we learned about as a broken people, a hurting people. We saw that last week. The people in context here, they've been shipped off from their land. They've been taken away from their homes. Their, their temple has been ruined, so they can't go and worship their God the way they think they should or could. And it's, they're hurting and reeling, and they're reaching out to God and saying, Does anyone care? This week, I think, as they're standing back and hearing Isaiah promise what he did last week, God is coming, look to him, he's a comforter, he's a shepherd. The, the people of Israel are sitting back there with their arms crossed and saying, really, can God do that? Like, I don't think he can. They're doubting who God is and what he can do. This morning we have a message that I have titled, Waiting for Only What God Can Do. It's the, the cry and the call for us to wait on God for what He can do and what He has done. So if you will, join me in chapter 40. Verse, uh, well, I, I'm actually going to read, start at verse 27 and, and read through 31. I'll, I'll start kind of at the end of our passage and then we'll work backwards into the passage. Uh, but will you first join me and we as we thank God for this word before we Father God, we thank you. We thank you this morning that you are a God who leads us step by step. In the joys of life and in the hard things of life. You lead us step by step in the transitions in life, the, the changes day to day, and you also lead us through even the status quo. Father, you do that by revealing truth to us. You, you've revealed yourself to us, mostly and thankfully through your Son who came, went to the cross for us, showed his love for us. God, we thank you. Thank you. And we look to that, and Lord, we see that also as you reveal yourself through your word this morning. We look to Isaiah's word now that speaks of you greatly. And we want to listen just to my words, but to what you're speaking to me and us. Use me as an instrument to proclaim truth so that we can continue to be led by you in this life. Father, we thank you so much. And we look to you now as our guide in this life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Isaiah 40, starting at verse 27 says there, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exalted, exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not 
Moses claims these people. Big claim. Big uh, promise that he's making. But the context of where this starts in verse 27 is ultimately he confronts them by asking them, why are you saying this about God? Why are you saying something uh, in in your walk with the Lord about Him? And he confronts them with this message and says, why are you saying, verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord? My right, or, or what I expect from God, what, what I believe and, and think He should do for me, has been disregarded, or some translations say ignored, by my God. Think of that verse for a minute. My way is hidden from God. I have been ignored by Him. I want to challenge us this morning to think and consider how we might be saying that in our own lives. What are the areas in which we might look and, and, and we might say, oh yeah, I'm believing in God, but in our hearts we say, in this area, I don't know if God sees me right now. In this area of my life, I don't know if God cares or, or, or if he's too busy to notice me here in Mountain Lake in a church pew on a Sunday morning. It might be It might be physical, emotional, it might be something else, but I imagine that there's some ways where we we say with our mouths that we believe that God is a great God, but yet at the same time, we look around in our situation and we look at what Isaiah is promising and we step back and we cross our arms and we say, I don't know if God can deliver on that promise. I don't know if God is, is living up to what Isaiah is proclaiming him to be statement that they're making is kind of twofold. One is, it's a theological belief that, that says, I don't think God can see me. I, I'm hidden from Him. It's the idea that, that our God is big, but He's not big enough to be able to see me. We, we say, oh yeah, we know that God is, is all-knowing, but in our hearts, theologically, we say, I don't actually believe that, that He can even see me. I'm just a little person. I'm just one of, of so many. I don't know that God is that big and that universal that he can see even me. The other part of it, my right has been disregarded or ignored, is an experiential thing. It's this feeling that's invoked that these people in Israel, they're sitting there saying, my God is, you know, I kind of get this feeling right now that God is too busy for me, that, that my problem is small. God has much bigger things to, to work on in the world, and my deal is not that big. Or, even if it's not he's busy, he really doesn't care. He really is checked out, or, or he, doesn't, he doesn't have to bother with me. He's, he's God. He doesn't have time for me. Now, as you're resting and thinking about that, what Isaiah is actually doing here when he brings forward this comment and it's important to see this, is he's not just giving them a, a one-time kind of slap on the wrist, like, hey, you, you said this once, and you should probably not say that. You shouldn't question God. The, the, the Hebrew, and, and I'm by no, no expert in that, uh, but as I read this week, a couple guys note that the, the, the word that's used here and the way it's used is this, this way of this continually saying this. It's this heart posture where these people are again and again throughout life, they are saying these questions and they're disbelieving God again and again.
God can do what I need Him to do. And we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because if you've been following us since Isaiah 6, way back uh, a while ago, God even said this people, they are not going to, they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. These people are hard, and, and it's going to be, it's going to take a work of God, a miracle for me to step in for them to understand and see just what they need to know about me. Which leads us back to the beginning of this passage. That, that sets the tone for what Isaiah is calling into question. It sets the tone for why we get verses 12 through 26. And as we look to verse 12, we start to see a question. It's not in the text, but it's kind of what he's trying to ask. Do you know who your God is? Do you know how big he is? Do you know how powerful and how wise he is? Let me read verses 12 through 20. It says there, who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance? Uh, who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Who did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of judgment? justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom, then, will you liken, or to what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set an idol that will not move. Do you know who your God is? He's asking him. He turns and starts to speak again of the power and the wisdom and how great God is. And he speaks to it in terms of the, the great majesty of creation, the wonder. And, and he speaks of these great things, all the creation that we see. I, last night I was thinking about it again as I saw the, the beautiful red orb that was in the sky that was starting to set, the beautiful sunset. Or, or as I as I mowed the lawn yesterday, and you and I, we, we have to go out and mow the lawn, and we see all those thousands and thousands and thousands of grass, something of which I could never count on my own. And God looks at them like they're nothing, like they're small or understandable. They're within His grasp. He, he goes from taking of these things that we see as big, mountains and the skies, and, and Isaiah beautifully brings them down into just common, everyday measurements, like a gallon or a yard. He, he starts to say that God looks at them with just common, everyday tools. It says the oceans, he, he grasps them like we would grasp water and bring it, and he holds it in the cups of his hands like this, and it's small compared to what we see it as. He, he can manage all the oceans. 
the skies, he says, which, which are, are vast, and we go out in the night sky, and we're in awe of all the stars that are out there, and, and it covers our whole view. Thousands of stars. And God says it's like a span. It's like the thumb to the pinky. It's about the skies. They're about that big. Or, or the, the skies during the day, big sky country. If you go out west, it's only that big. God can measure those things. We know who your God is. He's got power over the creation. He's so big. And, and you need to understand that as you are questioning him, he goes then into his wisdom. He's, he's good. He, he has given, he hasn't, he didn't need to consult anyone for building. He didn't need to consult for creation's purposes. It asks the question, who, who, did, who gave God counsel? Who did God consult to build these things? No, he didn't need that. He's so wise. And, and the context here is really kind of, kind of a poke in the eye at, at Babylon, where the people are at. Because for them, and we don't read about this God in, in, our, in our scriptures, but other ancient texts speak of a God named uh, A, or just spelled E-A, a Babylonian God who, who wanted to create the world, but funny enough, he had to go to another God to get the blueprints. He, he, he wasn't big enough and he wasn't strong enough that he needed to consult someone else to make that happen. This God didn't have to do that. Our God didn't have to do that. And not only that, he has the wisdom to rule and reign over it. Goes into comparing him. It says he's incomparable. That that other nations and their gods and who they look to, he's above that. Those other nations, the nations that are 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 even holding Israel in in their place right now in exile, they're just a drop in the bucket. They're insignificant in God's big purpose and God's big plan. You know who your God is. His power. His wisdom. His plan. speaks then and turns to idols. It looks to those other things that people fashion. That it speaks of someone who takes a piece of wood and, and fashions gold around it and makes it look really, really pretty and makes it look really nice. But he says that, that essentially this, this idol that you have put in front of you, that you've created, only is, is, has the ability of what the creator can make of it. it. It only goes as far as the man who makes it, it, it can only do that. They can't do all these things that our God can. And that makes sense, I think, in the terms of when we start to take our eyes off of this God, this God that we're asking, who is he? Do we know who he is? And we start to question, we start to doubt what he can do. Our eyes are lowered and we start to look around for other idols, other things that can, can do, our, do what we ask of it. Other gods that we can look to and, and say, can you help me in this area or that area? Other gods that we can't compare our God to. It's kind of a, a, a small tangent. I think that this is important for us to recognize that when we start to doubt, when we start to lower our eyes from who our God is, what actually happens is we become like all these others who look for idols. We look for things, great things, shiny things things that can help us in times of need, we, we start to turn to other products that when we start to say, God, I don't know if you can deliver in this area of my life. I, if, I, I don't know if you can live up to the promises. We start to turn to other things that we say, that can help me. That delivers. I can count on that. 
the end, we know that it won't. It falls through because it's not. It's just a thing. It's not the Creator God who's above it and working out His plan to perfection in the world. That moves us on to verse 21 through 26. 21 through 26 moves to a little bit different question. It asks, do you know, well, it asks, do you know, do you see your God at work? Do you see your God at work? 21 reads this way. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth that it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in? Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has the stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. The tempest cries and carries them off like stubble. Who then will you compare me, God says, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He's asking the question, do you see God at work? Do you see God doing what he does? God, or Isaiah is propping up this idea that what God is doing is visible. We can look to the sky and we can look around and we see his creation and we see things holding up and we know that God is at work behind it. He's doing things in our midst. He's observable. And he asks, who do you compare me to? I'm the one that's bringing rulers in and out. I'm the one who's making sure the world is spinning around. I'm taking care of it all. I'm working out things for my purpose. And it's been that way since the beginning. Do you see me at work? Do you see your God at work? And in this discussion, he actually points to the sky even. He points to the night sky, the stars. Now again, I think that this is a trying to press in to the, the people that are around Israel at this time. As they're in Babylonia, as they're in Babylon, these guys are astronomers. They look to the skies. They look to the stars for signs and wonders. And yet God says, I'm the one that controls them. I'm the one that leads in those things. And that's his work as you look to the sky. This points to the sky, which we know scientists tell us that there's millions of them out there. But as one person noted in his text, the naked eye itself sees about 5,000 stars on a really dark night. About 5,000 of them out there you might be able to observe if you have really good eyes and really dark conditions. So keep that number in mind, 5,000. And we go back in the storyline of all of God's people and we remember Father Abraham. Abraham, who God took out, said, look to the sky. See if you can number them. I will make you vast. 
and we know that God has walked with his people, Israel. He, he's walked with them through all times, and, and he, he keeps on referring back to this idea of the stars, that I see you like these stars, numerous. And I'm at work, like he's speaking to his people. I'm at work, I'm working something out here. I'm doing something for you. And he points them to the sky in these verses. directs them and he says this again, not one is missing. God is in control. Not one is gone. And so as we see uh, the work of God, we, we are thinking of ourselves to say, 5,000 stars, right? If I'm number 5,000, what we can be assured is, is that God hasn't forgotten us in his work. That it isn't that he's suddenly saying, oh, I can only pay attention to 4,999. He hasn't forgotten. He's at work. He's moving towards something. He's revealed to him. Who do you say? Do you know who this God is? Do you see him at work? And it goes back to that question again that Israel's asking. My way is hidden from the Lord. That my right is disregarded by my God. Verse 27. We know that the answer is God hasn't The, the, the climax of this verse, as Isaiah is saying, this talking a big deal and, and really talking God up and, and promising a big thing, he moves to 28 and he says again, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? That's kind of what he's been talking about all along. He's the everlasting God, the creator, the one who's over, has power over the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding or his wisdom, his knowledge is unsearchable. He has power and wisdom to the nth degree. What we start to see as, as Isaiah kind of comes home here with his points is that he's reminding after all this discussion, knowing who God is and knowing that he's working in the world, he's now sitting there saying, don't you see that our God has unlimited resources. He has an abundance of power and wisdom that can't be matched. He says he does not grow faint. He does not faint or grow weary. He won't fail. His power and then from there once we start to grasp the fact that God is has these things he moves on to verse 29. Gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So here we have a God who has everything. And then we look and he's, and he's giving to someone that has nothing. He's giving to those who have nothing. It, there is an exchange idea here that says, I won't falter. Those who have, those who are weak, those who are empty... I will give something to you. Which we need to pause and consider. Do I, do I think of that before God? Do I, do I realize that in that exchange where God has abundance, that what it counts is, is I will give to those who have nothing. Do we, do we think that we have something to offer? That we have something? Or are we totally helpless in saying, I don't have anything. It's only what God gives me that I can have. 
Are we willing to step down and say, you know what, I can't do it on my own. What I need is God to take my weakness, my nothingness, and give something to you. He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might, being Jesus Christ. Is that us as we go through this life, as we're considering these things? Because the reality is that youth shall faint and be weary. He says, young men shall fall exhausted. We will falter on our own. If we try to do this on our own, we will fail. Which gets us into the promise that we all know and love. These verses, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now we know the back parts of those verses. We remember that we we, we triumph and, and this 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 ver- these verses have had songs that we remember the words that we will we'll soar on wings like eagles, we'll run, we won't faint, we'll go till we, we can't go anymore or forever and we'll be okay. And those are the things we remember. But if you like that verse, do me a favor, if you remember nothing else from today, when you're thinking about that verse and you're meditating on it, know that where the thrust of that passage comes. The, the, the purpose of that passage is not just the promise in the beginning, but it's for Israel, who's in bondage right now, and God tells them to do what? To wait. Wait on me. Yes, the promise is great, but the encouragement as they're doubting and questioning and wondering on God is wait for your God. Wait for Him. It's interesting because the the story, that idea of rising up on eagles' wings, that's not a new concept to to them. That's not a new concept to Israel. You can go in your readings this week, and you'll see in Exodus 19, uh, it speaks of God. He says this in Exodus 19. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God, when he's saying, wait, you'll be renewed, you'll be brought on the eagle's wings, he's pointing them back and saying, remember the exodus. Remember when you were trapped, when you were in bondage, when you were in exile from where you wanted to be in Egypt, and I brought you out. I carried you through. You waited for me. It's not that we soar, it's that we will be brought out by him. He will do something for us, for our interests. commentator, he speaks of this idea of waiting. Now we think of waiting as being impatient, as kind of being uh, stuck and saying, oh, this is hard. This is, this is I don't know. I'm, I'm having to wait for God. But again, that goes back to this idea. If we're sitting and waiting there begrudgingly, then it goes back to this idea that it's like, I don't know if God sees me. I don't know if he remembers me. And again, what he's going is that this is a different kind of waiting. Ray Ortland, he speaks of it this way. He says, this waiting, to wait for the Lord, 
means to live in confident, eager suspense. It means to live in tension of promises revealed but yet not fulfilled. Waiting is not killing time. It isn't sitting around drumming your fingers. It's waiting on tiptoes, waiting eager with eager longing. It is forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, and pressing on towards the goal. It is steady, rugged progress sustained by the conviction. This is the key. That the display of God's glory in Christ is yours. We're told to wait. We're told to wait and trust and believe and and hope and know that God is coming, that He is going to do something, that in His power, in His wisdom, He's working things out. But here's another thing to consider as we want to immediately apply that verse to ourselves. We want to read Isaiah 40, 31 and apply it to us. Wait, wait, wait. And, and, And I think that there's something to that, but I think that there's another important thing We remember that this is written to Israel when they're in bondage a long time ago. It's not first written to us. And there's something that's major that happened in between there, isn't there? There's a major event called Calvary, and and, and Jesus who came and lived and died and was raised again, that happened in between us and Isaiah, isn't there? That's important because... Paul in 1 Corinthians who goes and starts moving us towards the direction of this passage. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking to the church that is not trusting God. They're they're thinking about themselves. They they aren't following after God as they should. And in chapter chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he goes and he starts quoting a couple of things from Isaiah and referring back to them including one verse where he says, Who can comprehend and understand the mind of the Lord? Right from our passage today. Who can comprehend it? He says those things. And his argument that he's using is God has power and wisdom unimaginable. The same thing that Isaiah was talking about. He speaks of the cross, that it was folly to those who are perishing. And he says that Christ is the power and wisdom of God. That same argument that Isaiah was giving, that he says our God has power and wisdom. Now he's saying it's Christ who is that power and wisdom. It is Him crucified we look to. And it's the Spirit that comes with Him and that we believe in that gives us what we need to fly on eagle's wings. To run and not grow weary. To walk and not faint. The idea here that I want to communicate is that that for Israel, they were called to wait and wait for something they did until Christ came. If we wait and we think that waiting is just being obscure, I don't know what I'm waiting for, and I'm just hoping for something in the future, God gave us something that showed Israel, here I am. I'm not going to just show you what you wait, or I'm not just going to let you think about what that waiting for is, I'm actually going to show you. Jesus is the one that Isaiah was talking about that we waited, that they waited for. And it's in Christ, the King, our Shepherd, that all those promises are fulfilled, that those things that God, that, that as Isaiah is, is making these promises and saying, our God, do you know who he is? He's upselling the product and saying it, it will give you the promises. It will be good. It will change your life. Isaiah 
is thinking of Jesus. He's the fulfillment. He's the one we turn to. And so we don't wait just thinking about nothing. We actually, for us today, as we hear Isaiah's verse, wait, in the moments where we're wondering, has God forgotten me? Has God ignored me in my problem? We don't have to just look forward and, and try to muster up waiting. We actually look back to the cross and we know and say, God came. I can know that it's not just a waiting on thin air. It's a waiting for a God who not only created and not only conquered death, that experienced what I experienced, and is there for me now. So go back to that statement again. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right has been disregarded by my God. Where are we asking that today? What in your life are you are you there asking, and, and in that I... I, or, or God's word, I should say, needs to challenge you to wait on Him and believe on Him. What is it that you need to wait for and for? But in your waiting, don't just look forward to what is to come. Remind yourself that you wait in reminder, knowing that God has already shown up. Jesus came to show love, to show His power, to show His wisdom. promises of waiting. We know that we will fly, that we will run on the backs of the one who came for us. And rather than doubting that God has forgotten us, I encourage you to wait knowing that He changed your life. In a moment, we're going to sing. I'm going to just beat out my vision, and I think that that's a God, we thank you so much. God, you are like no other God. You didn't need help to create. You didn't need to consult wisdom and, and how to rule and how to be over this world. You live up to all the promises that we find in the scriptures. And, and Lord, as we step back in our lives and we wonder do you see us? Are you too busy for us? The answer is no. Lord, for those of us who are here, we ask that you continue to remind us uh, not just to wait and not just to, uh, to hold tightly to truths about you, but also to look at what you already have done. That we move forward by looking back at the cross. We wait uh, by looking at what you've already done. Knowing that you will come again. Father, we want to be reminded how great you are, your power, your wisdom, your peace. It's a reminder now to me that, as Isaiah says, as you say to Isaiah, on our own, 
So I ask, I ask Spirit, that you would come in and you continue to uh, prick our hearts and, and reveal yourself to us. Show us what we need to take away from this. That we can't have supernatural, that we can't have understanding of your supernatural work, of what you're doing.